Hey, good morning. Welcome to Sunset. This is Tom Kern. I'm super excited. Today I have the wonderful guest, Eddie Trask. Now, it's actually funny because I'm a guest. I'm a guest on his podcast. So what you're going to hear today is the interview that I did on Eddie Trask's podcast. Eddie is someone who is a revert to the Catholic faith, and um, his podcast channel focuses on converts and reverts to the Catholic faith. He also works for the Augustine Institute. You might know them from formed.org. A wonderful guest, a wonderful interview. I met him at the men's conference. You'll hear about it in a minute. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' holy name, we come before you. We thank you for the gift of being alive, that you have created us for this moment. And in this moment, we invite you to be our good shepherd, Jesus. We invite you to anoint us, Holy Spirit. We uh, plead with you, Holy Spirit, to release within us the the sensitivity uh, to your power and your presence at work in our conversation. Holy Spirit, uh, we ask that your power would be at work uh, through the gifts that you've given to us, that we might be vessels honoring the Father. Father, we want you to be honored in all of this. And we know, Lord, that you uh, you know in advance all of those who will ever come into contact with this conversation that we're having right now. And so we pray for them. We pray for you, dear brothers and sisters, as you come into contact with this conversation uh, in whatever format that it is, that you would sense the Lord knocking on the door of your heart. You would sense him coming and saying to you, let me in. I know you by name. I'm coming. I brought you to this contact with this con- uh, with this uh, podcast so that I could come closer to you, so that I could bless you. And so, Lord, we say yes to those blessings as well. Whatever it is you want to do in our lives to this conversation, we say yes, Lord. We just want you to be glorified in this. We just want our lives to be fruitfully used by you. And Lord, we thank you in advance that we know you are a faithful God. You are true to your word. And uh, and we just say, Lord, uh, even just shock us with your generosity and, and how it is you manifest yourself uh, in this moment, through this moment, and through what happens in our lives. And Lord, bless Eddie, bless his wife and children, bless his uh, apostolate and the work that he is about. Uh, may it bear more fruit than he ever even could imagine. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. I said so, a lot into that prayer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really I really appreciate that, Tom. Um, what I want to mention is I went to the Seattle Men's Conference I think that was about a week ago, right? Man. Yeah. Where does the the time go? Um, And Tom was the last speaker. And I decided to stay. And I could have easily left to go to the airport a little bit early to give myself a buffer. Uh, But I decided to stay. I decided to stay to hear this man talk. And it was fantastic. What I appreciated about the talk is that he started off saying, you guys have heard a lot of words. You have heard a lot of words. And so I think about a lot of podcasts. I think about a lot of apostolates. We hear a lot of words. But then what Tom did was he acknowledged everything that is good about those words, but do we take them to heart? Um, And Tom, first of all, again, that that was a fantastic talk and it it really spoke to me. And it's something that people take home and they can, they can live it out according to what the Holy Spirit wills. Well, it's very kind of you, Eddie. Uh, and I uh, let me just say this: that uh, 
I, I also enjoyed our our engagement, our dialogue very, very much. And uh, I, I want to hear more because I, I want to dive into that men's conference. Absolutely. Uh, what I noticed in the men that were around me and what I noticed in myself was that in the midst of that talk, in the midst of that conference, there are testimonies that are developing and there are stories that are developing. There were men, when I went into the church, probably halfway through the conference, they had confessional lines on either side of the parish. And I I would have guessed there were 50, 50 people in line at that point. And some of which I'm sure were very heavy duty. I mean, how some of these men, some of which you spoke to, probably hadn't been to confession in a long time. And I think that these conferences, the speakers draw that out in these people. Hey, it's not to overuse the word here, but it's safe. It's safe. You can return to the sacrament of reconciliation for many of you for the first time in so long. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit, but I saw that the beginning of a lot of these testimonies is the sacrament of reconciliation. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. What is it that stops us from getting to the goal? A lot of times it's these obstacles. Right? And and the obstacle of sin makes us, makes men, makes us want to hide, makes us feel ashamed or embarrassed to come out into the open with what we'd rather keep hidden. And so, you know, that the first, that first grace that's connected to confession is that sense of, I, I feel drawn to accuse myself rather than defend myself. Uh, over the things that hold me back and block me from my relationship with the Lord. So, yeah, I think that um, coming to a men's conference, seeing other men visibly in line can be a prompt for me to say, if they're doing it, I can do it too. And and they don't feel so alone. Absolutely. And then the other thing about the talk that I want to mention up front is when we prayed for the souls that are dying around us. I, what it was the stat that you shared? I said, you said, as we're praying, I think every eight seconds, someone else is passing away. And you had this incredible plea that I've never really thought about. I don't know if other guys have thought about it. And that is in the midst of your suffering, are you able to offer that up for the sake of these people that are around us passing away? Yeah, so this is a theme that is in our Catholic tradition that we lost sight of. Our, our Lady of Fatima helped helped like recover it, and 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 sadly, since uh, the in the last hundred years, since the uh, our Blessed Mother's appearances at Fatima in Portugal, uh, it it has really fallen off, and and it's this devotion to help rescue souls that are near to death but far from God. Just if you can hold on to that phrase. Souls that are near to death, but far from God. Near to death we get, right? Just statistically, it's like every eight seconds, there's someone dying. And then the question is of those of those souls that are dying, even during our podcast, right? During this, the recording of this show, well, if it's an hour long, right? That's uh, how many, right? So that's like seven in a minute times 60 minutes. That's 425 people are going to die during the course of our, our conversation. Now, the question is how many of those are in the state of grace and ready to meet the Lord? They're going to meet their final judgment. And what's at stake in that, Eddie? What's at stake when they meet God at the moment of their death? 
it's eternity. It's heaven or hell. You think about what's at stake in that. And well, our natural uh, natural inclination is to say, well, there's nothing we can do about that. Well, that's not what Our Lady of Fatima said. She showed that vision of hell that was so utterly overwhelming to the three visionaries, right? Two saints, third, hopefully soon to be. And, and it moved them to spend the remainder of their lives finding ways to impact these souls. Why? Because she said that these souls are falling like snowflakes into hell because there are none to offer prayers and penance, expiation, for the these poor sinners that are near to death and far from God. And it moved, it moved uh, Francisco and Jacinta to live these lives of like real, like, let me find a way to do penance, to offer a sacrifice, to pray for these poor souls, because I don't want them to fall towards hell. Uh, what do we pray in the Hail Mary? Have you ever thought about when we pray the Hail Mary, we pray now and at the hour of my death. Amen. Right. Is that what we say? No, that's not our yeah. now and at the hour of our death. Well, who's the hour? How wide is the hour? Like, I, I, I'm not going to die at the same time as you, probably. Like, the likelihood is, like, almost zero. Mm -hmm. So if you stop and think about it, our death, and there's a sense of solidarity. There's a sense of connection. There's a sense of, wait a minute, I'm not separate from you. So who's the hour and our death? Can it be as wide as souls that are near to death but far from God? And if it is, if there are souls that are trapped in mortal sin, then they don't have that grace on their own to reach towards God. And if you think about it, in the hour of death, they're confused, they're exhausted, they're they're probably overwhelmed by, by what's happening to them. They're not they don't have a clear presence of mind. And so why wouldn't we want to be saying, Lord, I want to stand, place me on that mission, that spiritual mission of being right at the gate of hell and just saying, Lord, I offer up my suffering, I offer up these prayers for these souls that are near to death and far from God. Lord, just please roll away the stone so that you can come in and raise them from spiritual death like Lazarus. You know, that, that's a, boy, talk about a work of evangelization, <laughs> you know? Amen. Amen. So how do people build that habit into their daily lives? Because I think one of the biggest uh, difficulties in whether you're returning to the faith, just came to the faith for the first time is what is it that I focus on? And so we get caught up in a number of different prayers, maybe. Am I doing the right prayers? How would you recommend remembering just that monumental fact about those around us. Yeah. So uh, part of what I've done over the 25 years uh, of the last 25 years of doing church work, I've been doing it since 1989. And, um, but since my, like 1999, I've also been uh, an executive coach to CEOs and senior executives. And when I would go into them and I would meet with them, I wouldn't just start with, okay, what do you want to talk about? What I would say to them, the first thing I would write, I would write it on the whiteboard. I love whiteboards. Is I would say, "What's at stake right now? Not what is happening, not what is happening, but what's at stake in what's happening." And so, uh, if we can stop and just when we wake up in the morning and just ponder and just say, "Well, what's going to happen today?" No, no. What's at stake in my today? What's okay. at stake? What's the good that's at stake? If we can start pondering that question instead, then it shifts the conversation away from mere what to like, why? Like, why is this important? What does this lead to? 
that can impact, that can radically break through and really, frankly, cause a change in our whole lives. Because Eddie, if you think about it, if I've got this deep, passionate care for the souls of those that are near to death and far from God, it probably gets traced back to the fact that I realize there's something at stake in my life. Folks that are listening right now, hey, there's something at stake in your life. Do you know what it is? If you don't, you better find out, right? And and what's at stake in your life is not only heaven and hell. That's the first thing that's at stake. But it's also becoming a saint and fulfilling your God-given mission. The fact that you were created by the Lord and the fact that he created you for a purpose and planted you in, in history at the moment that he intended. And so you stop and say, are you becoming the saint that he intended you to become today? And are you going to fulfill the mission in the way that he intends in the moment that he's given you today? And so all of a sudden now, there's this is this is called the, the drama of discipleship. This is the excitement of, guess what? Today when I woke up, I have no idea what it is or how it is the Lord is going to bring me into. But if I if I have that awareness that my life is, in fact, a dramatic adventure that is led by the Lord, who planted me into today, so when I wake up, there's someone he might have me meet, there's a place he might have me go. If I'm open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, there's something he'll have me do or say or avoid that has repercussions on my growth and holiness and on the fulfilling of my mission. So now, that's that's the philosophy and theology of it all. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. So when you say open to the Holy Spirit, I use that phrase. I've used it now for, for years. What practically does that look like for, for you and for those that you've spoken to? Yeah, I'll tell you a story. So th this is the kind of thing that happens every day, right? So I think I uh, I might have said it to you. One of the things that if we're going to be witnesses to our faith, there should be rich stories connected to our faith that are unfolding in our lives on, on a regular basis. So one of the missions I'm on right now is helping families move to a place that will help their families flourish. So if I was going to do that, I needed to become a real estate agent. So I became a real estate agent. Not because I love selling real estate, but because I love families and I want families to be able to move from where they're at to where, where God's calling them. So uh, in the midst of all of this, I was um, uh, I was at an open house, saw a couple people and met this guy, but I could not remember. I didn't have his number. And I'm like, OK, I, but I know where he worked because he told me where he worked. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go find him. So he worked at a hospital. He's a doctor. So I went to the I went to the the uh into the hospital the, the the main like entry area i said hey i'm looking for a doctor what's his name i don't remember he's tall 
Listen, that's not going to help. But I'm like, okay, well, uh, he, he, you know, is an OBGYN. Oh, okay. Well that that's over on the fourth floor, way down the other side of the hospital, go down this long hall, go up the elevator, et cetera. So I went down the long hall, went up the elevator, went into the, uh, waiting room. I'm like, well, now what do I do? And I looked and I noticed that, um, I noticed the name, there was one nameplate different than the others. And I knew he had just moved in here, moved here. I'm like, oh, I bet that's what it is. So I looked him up on the internet, kind of a stalker here, huh? And, and sure enough, I found his picture. I'm like, that's the guy. I said, okay, now I know his name. Now I'm going to be able to reach out to him. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave now. So I left. And as I left, I came and the elevator was there, open door, went into the elevator. As the door's closing, a woman comes and says, hold on a minute. Hold on. Can I come in? I said, and I stopped the elevator, uh, the door from closing. She came in and next to the OBGYN section, there was a section for those who were receiving um, treatments for um, cancer. And so she came in and she had on a cap on her head that you could see was a, a sign that she had probably lost her hair from, from treatments. She's my age. Uh, no, no, she's probably about 10 years older than I am. So she's like uh, maybe uh, late 60s, close to 70, right? So she uh, gets in and and I just say, hey, isn't it, you know, isn't it so good that the weather's changing and it's getting warmer? And, and she said, well, yeah, it's, yeah, I guess so. And and she comes down, I'm like, okay, she's a little bit burdened. She's kind of weary with what's happening in her life right now. And I said to her, I said, well, I hope you have a great day. And she said, well, God is good as she's walking out of the elevator. And I'm getting out too, because we're back down at the main floor. And I said, all the time. And as she exits the elevator, she turns in the same direction that I am, which is going to take us down this very long hall to the front entrance. And I'm behind her. And something inside of me, someone inside of me, there's this little prompting. Okay, take away, let's not use such a, like a fancy word. There's this little nudge. There's this little push that said, talk to her. So, I, I was behind her and I said, Hey, I'm going to walk next to you. I'm not, I am not, uh, I'm not uh, just tracking after you here. Right. I'm not following you. And, uh, and so she is walking beside me now and, and I'm like, so how's it going these days? She says, it's going hard right now. And I said to her, I said, uh, what's your name? Uh, and she, she told me her name, which was the same name as my wife, uh, Carrie. She said, my name's Carrie. And I said, Oh, that's my wife's name. I said, I've got to reveal something to you, Carrie. And she said, what? I said, I'm an angel sent from God. And she just looked at me as we're walking down the, down the hall. I said, angel means messenger. I said, God sent me here. I'm going to pray with you right now as we're walking. Lord Jesus has blessed this dear sweet sister in Christ. I thank you that you brought her in touch with me, that you made us meet, Lord. I wasn't supposed to be here at this hospital. There was no reason for me to be. I thought I knew the reason. I was, Lord, you sent me here to be here for her. You love this woman so much that you brought me out of my day to be here at that exact moment so that she would know that you love her and that you're taking care of her. That Jesus, you said, come to me, all you who labor and heavy burden. I will give you rest. Lord, give this woman rest. Let her know that you're going to take care of her on this journey as we walk down this hall and the journey that she's on. Just bless her, Lord, and let her know that you have, you are the divine physician and that you're at work through all of these other physicians. Amen. Right. Something, it was something like that. Right. And, and we finished the prayer, got to the end of the hall. She looked at me. She's crying. She says, thank you so much. I can't believe that. 
was such a blessing to me. And she went off to her appointment and I went out the door. Ta-da. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's there's prompting right there. So that that's a that's a way of enfleshing the concept of what does it mean to follow a prompting? What does it mean to say? It means this, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the living Lord. And when we are immersed in Christ in baptism, he, the blessed Trinity, immerses, is immersed in us. Just Jesus said, the Father is in me as I'm in him. So if Jesus comes to live in you, the Father is alive in you. Jesus says, I'll send you the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The blessed Trinity dwells in us as in a temple. And it's the Holy Spirit's role to prompt us and nudge us through the gifts he's given. There it is. It's through the gifts he's given. Faith, hope, and love and other spiritual gifts are going to be those points of contact with the personal nudge of the Holy Spirit to get us to say or not say, to do or not do things that will be the way in which we are the the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in our day-to-day lives. You don't need a theology degree for that. You just need an openness and a willingness to do that. Great. If we can go back to the men's conference, when you were preparing for that and preparing for any talk, what? how do you develop, I guess, the theme and what is your aim? What Because it, when you went up there, this is the other thing I appreciated. It did not appear scripted in any way maybe in some ways you got to have your your anchors let's say but you were just ready to navigate move with the with the audience which i really appreciate so if you can speak to that that would be great yeah so uh i've been doing this for a while right so it's i didn't start where i am now it's a journey and so the idea of sort of having the talk Right, the, the, let's call it the canned talk that um, many presenters have, and that's not a bad thing because they know yep. the, the the beginning, middle, and end. They know the flow of the talk, and they know the themes that are important, the stories that really connect. That's not a bad thing. Uh, that's not where I'm at in my own like journey of faith. So you might have seen uh, saw me. I had my little notebook out, and I was writing down notes. So you know, I I prepared for that talk uh, up until the minute I gave it. So I, I didn't really know what I was going to say. Like, talk about trust, right? I'm standing up there and I'm going to trust that uh, the Lord is going to move me into the right content in the right way. So I did have a few anchor points that I felt I brought into the, into the, uh, into the conference that were based on what the conference uh, uh, organizer had said to me. Right. You know, from brokenness to boldness. Right. So we want you to talk about boldness. Okay. I know that when I speak to men about boldness, there are certain key ideas that are holding back boldness. Right. So I talked about passivity and and effeminacy were two key ones. And then the, the larger framework was trying to break open this sense of, hey, guys, this is just about you consuming more content to you guys being open to an encounter with the living Lord who is knocking on the door of the right now moment of your life. He wants to break in. He wants to break open your life in a way you haven't imagined. 
And he is going to not only ask you to empty out, but he is going to fill you. But when he fills you, it's going to overflow and you're going to have to move, right? So it's it's those two words, event and encounter, event and encounter. And those are words that I really inherited from uh, our last two popes, St. John Paul II and, and Pope Benedict XVI, and studying their writings, philosophical and theological, those two themes really became so prominent in my own spirituality, in my own living of my life of faith. So when I go up and give a talk, my hope is, Lord Jesus, please use this talk so that those that are listening will have an event and the event of an encounter that is with you, not with me. I don't care about me. I want them. I want this to be useful to you. I want, I want these folks to encounter you in a way that shifts how it is they're living their lives. Yeah. So then you, you, you're understanding Lord use me because he uses people as conduits. And that's, yeah, I think we personally, you and I, when we met before you even gave a talk, I felt we had one of those moments because our conversation, even though it was probably cut short, yeah, it was cut short, but I don't know, we had 10, 15 minutes together and the number of things that we covered, that doesn't happen with everyone. And when you're manning a booth, let's say, you have 30 seconds per person. You don't have 10, 15 minutes. So I I really appreciated when we uh, when we had that discussion. Um, and the other thing is- I with, want to hear it. I want to say this. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What struck you? What did so again? That you're uh, asked that you put me on the spot first of all. Okay, so if I approach someone at a conference and I just say, "Hey, uh, I, I don't even know. I just saw you look in my direction. And I thought, hey, that's a person for some reason. I'm I border between introvert and extrovert. I, I still don't know wh what I'm doing. It just depends on the situation, I guess." I said, hey, I'll just go talk to, I don't know if I knew that you were going to be a speaker or not, but um, the minute I said hi to you, I think one of within the first 10 seconds, you asked me a question that made me, I don't remember what the question was, but with that conversation made me think more about my life than I do on a regular basis. That's for sure. So that's what struck me is that you asked a question, I answered it and you had another question. <laughs> You had another question ready to go to uh, not to keep me on my toes, but just to understand. I think you said, you know, why are you here? Or, you know, tell me about yourself. What is it that you're trying to do for the Lord? I, it was just really. I don't know. It was unorthodox, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and and that's a dialogue. Right. So in yeah. that dialogue, I want to understand who you are. What are you about? Right. What's that sense of what's the mission? Why are you here? Right. Like what brings you here? Why are you here? What's that sense of mission? What are you doing here? Yeah. And uh, I'm like, and then as soon as I heard, okay, you're a husband and a father and you're here because of this apostolate you're involved in, right. With the Augustine Institute and then with the work that you're doing um, in this podcast. Uh, and I'm thinking uh, like, here's a, here's another divine appointment. All right. The Lord has set this up and I'm thinking to myself, all right, I've been around this track too many, a lot of times. Maybe I can have a conversation that yields something good for you. Yeah. One of the things that we talked about was, um, you know, don't chase results, chase fruits. Right. I think too many people think, oh, I'm making such a difference because I 
have these statistics, like here are all the crowds I've spoken to, and here's all the you know the the stuff that I've done. And do you remember what I said? Right? It's like uh, now I'm putting you on the spot again. Well, Eddie, it, it was never going to have me on on your program I, again. I, if I, talk. I I can paraphrase. It was like the who cares about numbers if you're not surrendered to the Lord? None of it's all meaningless. Maybe you yeah, didn't say it that matters. way, but yeah, yeah, holy, yeah exactly. Yeah. If you're not yeah. holy, you're not going to bear fruit. In fact, you're going to hurt the gospel. And if what you have are clever and entertaining ways of presenting the gospel, but you're not holy, then people are going to be left with you and not Jesus. I want to get out of the way. I want Jesus to shine forth in what I'm saying and doing. And if I also can be clever and entertaining, then those are gifts that are useful to the Lord, but they are dangerous if we have very gifted, clever people out there presenting the gospel, but are not holy because it won't have an impact. And therefore there'll be so many people who will hear the gospel without the impact of Jesus being as strong as it could be because of the lack of holiness of the one who's bringing that out. That, that's a very traditional Catholic idea. It was John of the cross, right? Get to the very end of the ascent of Mount Carmel. Cause he didn't finish it, right? It just stops. Yeah. But if you look at the, like the very last thing he's saying, talking about preaching. And he's saying that the words of the preacher, the words of someone who's giving a homily ought to be able to do what? It was raise the dead. That's right. You know, do you, do you want to know if you're, if, if you're actually in the Lord's will and, and you're growing as a, as a preacher and teacher of the faith? Are your talks raising the dead? That's a pretty good standard to focus on. And, and he's, and he's the one who brings up the gifting without holiness is not going to bear fruit and can cause harm. What you need is to focus on holiness and then, yes, also develop the skills and the gifts that God has given you and ask for those gifts and skills. But it's holiness that matters. The other thing I remember is you referenced the author uh, Jacques Philippe. And yes. you were talking about how his... Well, would you call it an apostolate? I guess you would. The, the, his writings, his writings were, um, someone asked him, how how did these writings reach everyone in all these countries? And they're translated this way and that way. How? And he said, I didn't, right? I, I didn't know. do I, I asked him. I, I yeah, had exactly. You asked him on your show, what what yeah. did you do? And his answer was, the Lord did something. I, I what are you saying? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he just like, he just like threw his hands up. He's like, I don't know. I just was giving talks at a retreat and those got transcribed and then they got published. And then it just went from there. He didn't hire a marketing arm and he didn't have a big marketing budget, did have a great team and put together great YouTube shorts and, you know, all these <laughs> other things. No, it was, he focused on the Lord and the Lord took him wider. And if you stopped and said to yourself, if 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 you go wider apart from God, well, the Lord could still use you and he can redeem it. But boy, I, that is that really what we want to do? Right. So it's it, it, I, I was told by a very wise my spiritual director years ago, a very wise, holy priest. He said, don't be afraid of fame, but don't chase it. Don't be afraid of riches, but don't chase it. Don't be afraid of influence or power, but don't chase it. If the Lord brings it to you, then pray to be holy enough, docile enough, humble enough, pure enough of intention to be able to fruitfully use that for his glory. But don't chase it. That's an unworthy goal. Yeah, I think I, I was skipping around different uh, podcasts that you did, and I think I did hear that. When you were talking about um, 
you're not saying I'm taking a vow of poverty. Like I'm so, I'm almost rejecting. I forget the word you used um, yeah. as it relates to, you're not shunning either side. You're just saying, God, right. what, 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 I'm not rich or poor. That is not, you can't say that is his will in this moment. You just say, I'm open to your will and you actually mean it. Yeah, you remember, it's the test for indifferentia. There you okay. go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So St. Ignatius of Loyola, are you indifferent, right? And indifferent doesn't mean not caring. It means not preferring. So do you prefer, right? Are you happy with or do you prefer a rich life or a poor life, right? A life of fame or obscurity, a life that's healthy or sick, and uh, a life that's known or unknown. And the answer is, Lord, I prefer what you prefer. So if you prefer for me riches, I'll take it, but I'm not pursuing it. If you lead me from riches to poverty or poverty to riches, I'm, I'm indifferent. I'm available to be led. I'm ready and receptive to be led into riches or poverty, fame or obscurity, right? Health or, um, health or, uh, or sickness, right? A long life or a short life. Lord, I don't care about those things. I care about you. I prefer you and I prefer the life you have for me. Very good. Yeah, I that's think it's a great test. It is. Well, St. Therese, there was a quote, one of the quotes I read from her. She just said, if the Lord said, would you prefer or would you, would you pick this option or this option? And she just says, I choose neither. I choose neither. He's asking, he's, he's pretending, I believe, if I remember correctly, that he's asking her, what do you choose? And she's saying, I choose neither, only what you want. And I just thought so, that was powerful. Yeah. Well, Eddie, this is also connected to the work of evangelization, right? So I want folks that are listening to this also realize that this is connected to the work of evangelization, apologetics, dialogue, all of those moments of the church's mission. So John Paul II, Mission of the Redeemer, right? So his uh, his uh, encyclical on the missionary activity of the church, he has a chapter in there on missionary spirituality. And he, he says that the first requirement of a missionary spirituality Think about it. If you could, if you could build and mold a Catholic evangelist, what would be the first gift you'd want to give that evangelist? Think about it. What's the first gift? And you think, well, it's faith to preach, it's courage, it's uh, it's discernment. No, you know what it is? It's docility. It's radical availability to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's the first requirement of a missionary spirituality, rather than me putting myself forward and saying, Lord, will you bless it? So that's something to pray for, Yeah, is pray for that docility. So I, uh, it was one of the things that I would tell guys like you and women, but mostly it was guys who are trying to make a living doing ministry. So what do I do to, to really have that bear, bearing fruit in ministry? And I would say, pray for docility. Pray for humility and pray for purity of intention. Like, why are you pursuing this? And, and is this really about the Lord or is this about me? We want an unpolluted intention. And we often have mixed motivations for what we do. It's like, oh, yeah, you ought to get this book because, you know, it'll be great for you. Well, and I make a little bit extra money, too. So there are so many mixed motivations that are out there. So pray for purity of intention. So I would pray for those specifically intentionally I, I did it for decades um now now I'm, I'm humble and pure enough that i don't need to do that anymore so. <laughs>
and that's why I had you on because exactly. Like, live, I'm just I'm radiating only, only living saints on on this show. So nice. Um, maybe we can pivot to just I guess the the church in general, everything that's going on. We had a conversation about that. I can't remember the specifics, but we were talking about the state of the church relative to the past. And in other words, if you view something as, if you personally view, hey, we're in a valley, uh, there are other people that could view it in maybe as a mountain. I don't know. Uh, Can you speak to that i mean that's a very broad question yeah but. no no that's fine i'll give it to you in two ways real quickly so the first is when i first started uh doing church work in in the in late 80s um i felt like it was it was it was a time of christendom it was a time where the church was a respected institution the, the phrase i use is it had a seat at the table the influencing the wider uh community uh, and and it was just the case that the church had a visibility and a prominence and an acceptability. Yeah, there were disagreements, but it was sort of like, okay, there's 20% and 20%, but 60% we agree, 20 we disagree, and 20, you know, they disagree, this sort of the positions we hold. But there was a seat at the table. What we were very um, naive about was that those that disagreed with us, we thought that they would respectfully allow us to keep a space at that table. But over the last 30 years, they continue to take more ground, take more ground, take more ground. And so we started losing ground and we started losing the culture at a whole other level. And all of a sudden now we wake up and it's, I'm going to say 2018, I'm going to pause there. And that summer of shame, and I call it the scales fell from my eyes. And I realized that, wait a minute now, over the course of the almost 30 years that I was doing ministry work, uh, working for the church, that we have moved into a place where the anti-gospel, an anti-Catholic polemic and spirit has continued to grow in prominence. And we as a church have been told to be quiet, shut us down. We're intolerant. We're out of date. And we ought to uh, be eliminated. Right. So there are so many even just demonic ways that the church was under attack. And we as as Catholics and, and me and doing church ministry, it was like, wait a minute, what are we doing? Uh, and so I I felt a call to make a shift that was talk about being available to be led into a different direction. Very difficult uh, because my ministry had been built on what people used to describe me as, as relentlessly positive. Hey, Eddie, don't you want to be relentlessly positive? Absolutely. Right? Let's go. Let's proclaim Jesus as this magnet that will draw people to a better place. This sounds wonderful. And, and consider Jesus and he will set you free and, and, and all of this. I love that. Let's help Catholics come alive in faith and, and explore. I, I, I talked about understand the riches, appreciate the goodness and, and, and uh, no, love the beauty, appreciate the beauty and live the goodness of the faith. Let's go. Right. That's a great mission and ministry. So awakening up Catholics to live their faith more uh, beautifully in the world. And then 2018 hits and there was like, wait a minute, scales fell from the eyes. We have this horror, these terrible horrors connected to the sexual abuse of of teenagers and uh, priests and bishops were having sex with men. 
as just being ripped out into the open again. And it's like, okay, now we have all of these terrible, terrible, uh, wounded, broken uh, people who deserve to be healed. Let's do something about it. Let's go for transparency. And to see a, uh, an almost complete lack of godly response on the part of church leadership to heal the broken, to call back to home and healing and, and, and restoration, those that have been wounded, and to see a circling of the wagons and a, and a protectiveness over, over so much. I felt this call to move from relentless, being relentlessly positive to being prophetically uh, reverent, a reverently prophetic, that I, I felt this burden to speak to bishops and priests that I had been working with for over 30 years, to speak out and to call out the, the sin that needed to be repented of and the healing that, that the Lord was asking for. And, and so my, my message changed radically, and it was the hardest thing. And that's been my message for the last five years is I still strive to be relentlessly positive, but my message has become much more urgent because if the Titanic is sinking, then I better get people to the lifeboat, right? Get on the lifeboat because you're going down. Um, or the other analogy is, you know, the house is on fire. You know, you can't just be having a barbecue in the backyard. If the house is on fire, you got to get in there. You got to break down the doors and you got to rescue those that are inside or they're going to die. And so that's been my life since then. The last five years has been much more of a rescue mission to save those who can be saved. Now, when you think of people, especially on, you know, those that watch this channel, uh, considering the Catholic Church, well, you're you see people like that, I'm sure, on a regular basis. How do you continue that transparency about the past, about the, you know, the, the present, meaning, of course, there are sinners. We're right here talking to each other, right? How do you address that to someone that is discerning the faith? And second part to that question, what you talked about, um, how do you help people also not fear those that are not in that space, if you're following me. So you've talked about um, the good that can come from non-Catholic. They're, they're, they're all, uh, we would agree on the teachings, but you were talking about almost a fear to engage with people that are not Catholic. Yeah, sort of uh, duck and cover or you kind of run away and hide, right? So um, I would say, so two things. The first is um, it has always been an issue um, as long as I've done uh, the work of evangelization. So one of the first things I did when I was working as a parish director of evangelization in 1989 was I'd go door to door and knock on the door and, and introduce myself and talk about Jesus and invite them to church. And they were so excited about the engaged conversation. They're like, I'm going to come to mass. And then they go to mass at Saturday at five in the afternoon. And they're like, you're talking about the living Lord Jesus and this encounter with the riches of God. And I see this parish that looks absolutely dead. So there's always been that 
phenomenon of the discrepancy between the proclamation of Jesus and the vitality of the community of faith. So that always will exist. And that should never be an obstacle to proclaiming the gospel to any specific individual. Remember, it's about event and encounter. It's about the Lord breaking into the moment and showing that he's alive. And so that's where I, I can put the emphasis very much on helping people have an encounter with the Lord that is very much presence and power. He's present and he's moving in power. And so that often means praying with people. But if it also has to do with vitality and vibrant encounter with the living faith, then that means that we don't obscure the fact that if they go to their local Catholic church, because I, you know how many, you know how many former Catholics I've met that left the faith because they were part of a community that wasn't vibrant and there wasn't that sense of vitality that they visibly saw. Uh-huh. Right? There was the counter witness of the actual community or the actual priest that they were engaging with. So it's a matter of saying, am I in the midst of a fellowship that is alive, that is vibrant, that I can then introduce them into? So whether that is a married couples group or a prayer group or a men's group or some other movement that will help me be able to show them that the living Lord is, in fact, the living God. So we just often invite them to come to our house with other families, and then they get to see that sense of, wow, this is different. It's in the air. So that's, you know, that's just sort of the the fundamental dynamic. And then regarding the idea of ducking and covering, um, I I would say two things. That is a temptation where we are we are not called to hide. We're called, to, you know, we don't put our light under the bushel basket. But let me ask the question: Were the Blessed Mother and Saint Joseph hiding when they fled to Egypt? <laughs> Great right? question. Yeah. No, they were saving the baby Jesus from being slaughtered by Herod. And that would be my bit. That's my big challenge to so many Catholics today. Sadly, in like I live in Washington state, I I say it out loud. You should presume that your kids are in fact in the midst of the slaughter of their innocence, unless you prove to me that they're not. The default setting is that they are being slaughtered. Their innocence is being slaughtered. Kids that have smartphones, especially the smartphones that don't have any kind of restrictions on them or hanging around with kids that don't have any restrictions on them or going to their homes that don't have restrictions on what's being there. These are portals to hell where you have a relentless, pervasive, intimidating, overwhelmingly clever and entertaining presentation of the anti-gospel that is being washed over and sewn into these kids' lives, it is undermining and destroying or decaying a Catholic way of seeing life. And parents are passive when it comes to recognizing the horrific influence this is having on their lives. Guys, you got to man up. You got to take some action here to protect your kids, to provide for your kids. And if that means moving, you move. You have to literally uproot your family. You move out of Catholic schools if you need to. I hate to say that, but Dazzles in Catholic schools, you should presume that their kids are your kids are going to lose their faith in the typical Dazzles in Catholic school. Well, what was yeah. the percent? You shared a percentage of the the kids that are raised Catholic by the age of twenty five. I think the number was twelve. 12% would be retained. In other words, they would be going to mass as they were as a kid. Is that right? 
they'd be self-identifying practicing Catholics at 25. If they were born into a, a self-identifying Catholic home and they uh, now, right. And they were raised by the time they're 25, they, they have a number of those that are going to continue to be practicing their faith. Self 12%. <laughs> like one of my nine kids, right. is going to be self-identifying and practicing their Catholic faith. And so it's one of those, I, I don't know if I said the phrase during the event, uh, it takes a heroic effort to raise an ordinary Catholic. That That's the world we're living in. It takes a heroic <laughs> effort wow. to raise an ordinary practicing Catholic today. And if you don't make a heroic effort, your kids will lose their faith. It's not a matter of whether. It, they're going to lose their faith unless you make heroic efforts, sacrificial efforts, serious, intentional efforts. Like we, we literally moved our family away from friendships and, and, and a parish and, and schools and teams and, and family. We moved away from family. Why? Not because we desired to live in Spokane, this wonderful dreamland that everybody wants to move to when they're reaching the pinnacle of their life. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Right? The only reason we moved there was for the faith of our kids that we have a what's at stake What's at stake in my life is not only heaven for me and getting my wife to heaven, it's getting my kids to heaven. And so the question is, what am I willing to do or not do for that sake? If that's the goal, then staying in Western Washington was going to literally mean I was going to betray my ultimate call for the sake of more comfortable staying in place. I could more easily comfortably stay in place. The idea of uprooting my family and moving that was incredibly hard. That would involve tremendous suffering. But then the question is, do I want to make that suffering come upon my kids and my family right now? Or do I want to experience the number one suffering, the number one suffering that I hear in the voices of grandparents, and I have over the last 30 years, the number one ache in the heart that comes from the, on the faces and in the voices and in the message that come from grandparents is, what did I do wrong? My kids are not Catholic anymore. I put them through 12 years of Catholic school, four years of Catholic college, and now they're living with their girlfriend or they're married and, and they're not raising their kids Catholic. They're not practicing that. What did I do wrong? That's the number one pain and ache in the heart. So you can sign up for two sufferings. You sign up for the suffering of uprooting and moving your family, or you sign up for the suffering of having your kid leave the faith and live a life that is apart from their Catholic reality. Those are your choices. And there's an 88% chance that that's going to happen. Very good. There are so many parallels between what you said and last week's guest. I don't know if you had a chance to catch it. You, you should, if you get a chance, former Carthusian monk, and he was talking about the call to even enter the monastic life. And it's just fascinating to me to have a brother, to have yourself just, there are so many parallels in everything that you just said <laughs> to what he was saying. Um, and part of it, I, or I should say not even part of it, it all boils down to, it all connects to surrender, but it also is what is going to be comfortable, what's actually going to be difficult. It's not to say that just because something is more difficult that you go for that every time, you obviously have to stay um, close to the Lord. But there was this fa fascinating take um, that I've been thinking about between last week's guest and what you just said 
about the comfort that is so, it will lull you to sleep. The comfort will lull you to sleep. You wake up, all of a sudden you're 55 years old and you say, what just happened? And I, I can say that I was in a sleep for quite a while as well. Woke up, what? Oh my gosh, life is real. The Lord is real. These souls matter. <laughs> the conversation that we had at the conference. So I'm, yeah, I've got a lot to chew on for sure. Is there anything else, Tom? Go ahead. You were going to say something? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I was, uh, something that I was pondering yesterday, I was talking about it with Kerry. I was like, um, that idea of having a sense of uh, zeal for the Lord, right? So uh, there are these three moments in um, in the life of a disciple. So am I am I zealously pursuing a mortified life, a life where I am picking up my cross, dying to myself, and seeking more of the Lord, right? So am I ruthless about removing sin from my life? I don't know if you ever prayed for this, Lord. I beg you for the gift of penance. Please, Lord, I beg you for the gift of giving me the grace to fast. Like, do we pray for that? I, I, I'm telling you that that that's a that's a prayer that is needs to be prayed more. We've lost we've lost connection with the um, the the ascetical life, right? So, in 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 Catholic theology, um, after Trent, theology was taught in manuals. And so in manualistic modes of teaching theology, they would assign different themes together that were related. So there would be a course, God is one, that would be taught with God is three. There'd be uh, grace taught with nature, right? Uh, Jesus is God, Jesus is man, right? Uh, but there was also a course in mystical theology. And do you know the other manual that was taught alongside mystical theology? It was ascetical theology. So do you want to advance in holiness to the highest states of radiate, radiating Jesus and divine and divinity? If you want to advance along the path of the growth in holiness, you have to advance on the path of asceticism, which is spiritual training. And so ascetical theology is made up with spiritual disciplines of spiritual training and mortification, dying to self. So guess what? Maybe we don't have that many saints because we don't have that many ascetics. And so pray to become an ascetic. Pray for that. That's the first one. <laughs> the second one is pray to be an intercessor, an intercessor that is radically desperate to rescue those that are not just near to death, but far from God, but those that are around us. And then the last one is pray to experience the power of God that fills us to overflowing. The, 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 the Philip Neri experience of praying in the catacombs and having the fire of God enter his heart, break his ribs, enlarge his heart, such that the very presence of God would radiate from his being. And when he, his disciples, would needed comfort and they were really confused about the spiritual life, he would just draw them close to his heart and they would just have washed away from them their doubts and clarity would return. Like, how's that for ministry? <laughs> yeah. Right? So... Why don't we pray for those things, right? So you pray for those things, watch what happens to your life. Wow. Thank you so much, Tom. I really want to thank you for your time and um, unexpected mentorship based on me walking over to you uh, last week. So I just want to, again, thank you. And um, everyone, please subscribe, share, like, and 
pray for docility and humility um, and purity of intention. And until next time, take care and God bless.